Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. We pray that you would use your word to show us how we can be better conformed to the image of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how many of you are tennis aficionados or if you watch tennis this year. Simona Halep, a 28-year-old from Romania, was the women's singles champion at Wimbledon. She crushed Serena Williams in the final, um, uh, uh, final uh, uh, effort for the, to attain the championship. And uh, people were surprised, but uh, nonetheless, she did really, really, really well. I used to play tennis. I used to play doubles. And we had a group of four of us that played together. We used to rotate partners. And it is not true that everyone who was partnered with me lost every match. Okay, it is true. In tennis, one of the main skills that you have to acquire is serving properly. And if you serve really, really well, you can score an ace. The ball goes right in there and the opponent misses it and you score points. The thing about tennis is, if you consistently score aces, you win. In the kingdom of God, Jesus is also going to tell us that we're called to serve aces. They're not tennis aces. They look different in the kingdom. But when we serve aces for Jesus, he wins. And other people win. We're going to find out this morning as we turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10 that service to others is one of the key outward evidences of following Jesus and Christian leadership. So the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 35 through 45. They're on pages 50, start on page 1571 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. The Gospel of Mark chapter 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, the the sons of Zebedee replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The first thing that strikes me about this passage is that we get to see what Jesus thinks of what we might call name it and claim it theology, verses 35 through 41. And a lot unfolds in this interchange between Jesus and James and John, but but let's look at this request from these guys 
in verses 35 and 37, it was an inappropriate request, to say the least. Now, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that mom was in on this plot, sending the boys in. But look at the enormity of the request. Do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, well, what is it that you want? And they said, well, nothing much. Just when you come in your glory, we want to sit at your right and at your left. Those positions were the positions of kind of ultimate trust and responsibility. Ultimate trust and responsibility and privilege. That's all these guys asked for. A couple of notes here. One, parents, we need to make sure that we seek the right things from the Lord for our kids. The right things. That they would know Jesus. That they would have a fervent and deeply developing and ongoing connection with Jesus. That when they get up in the morning, their first thought and attention would be on the God of all creation. And they would seek to serve him, whatever else is going on in their lives. Catastrophe, medical problems, lack of jobs, housing difficulties, all of those things are things that are real, but the ultimate real thing is God himself. And so when we pray for our kids, we pray, Lord, draw them to yourself. The second thing that I think we learn about this is that prayer is not making demands of God. In John chapter 14, verse 14, Jesus says this, Ask me for anything in my name and I will do it for you. Now lots of folks take those words to mean that if we tack the name of Jesus onto a prayer, God is obligated to respond. And sometimes we have this temptation, I think, to act like God is a magic genie or an ATM. You know, you can walk across right over to the credit union over there. There's an ATM there. You can pop in your PIN number and out comes cash. Well, God is not an ATM. We don't just poke at him with the name of Jesus. And he's not just obligated to fulfill whatever whims pop into our heads. When Jesus says, ask for me, ask me for anything in my name, he means ask me for stuff that resonates with who I am and who I've called you to be. Sometimes I wonder about my own prayer life. If, if, if all the self-serving requests were removed, would there be anything left? Verse 40, Jesus says, God moves in accordance with his sovereign will, which leads us to this challenge from the Lord in verses 38 and 39. He says, you don't know, guys, you don't know what you're asking. Can you really follow me? Have you really heard what I have said about the cost of following me? Back in the Gospel of Mark chapter 8 and verse 29, Peter declared that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus said, you got it. You finally, finally got it. And along the way, Jesus has been trying to communicate that there is cost to following him. Three times in the Gospel of Mark alone, Jesus predicts his own torture and death. That's his cup. That's his baptism. Those are images of Jesus' suffering on our behalf. And in the 
speaking without thinking department. Any of you have ever spoke without thinking first? The words got out there and you went, oh, no. That's what these guys do. Because Jesus said, uh, uh, you know, you have to embrace this cup of suffering. And the guys in verse 39 say, oh, we can. Man, we should not answer too quickly. It's easy for us to think we will endure anything for Christ. But most of us, even in the face of minor inconvenience, we back off. And Jesus says in verse 39, you don't know it yet, guys, but indeed, you are going to endure that cup of suffering. Acts chapter 12, verse 2, James runs into trouble. The book of Revelation Verse 9, John runs into a kind of the capstone of his trouble, which has been a lifetime of suffering for Jesus and exile. Now, if that wasn't enough, the other ten show up in verse 41. They became indignant. They weren't any better. They were, they were mad. Why were they mad? They were mad because James and John got there first with their question. And their desire for pursuit of the preferred places. They weren't indignant because James and John asked an inappropriate question. They were indignant because James and John asked the question they had all been thinking. And they were first in line asking it. I have a nephew in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And when I lived there, he came to visit from time to time. And one day we had ordered some pizza and we had it for dinner and had some of it. And there was about half the pizza left. And so we put it in the fridge to save the rest for later. This was really good pizza. Pepperoni, Italian sausage, extra cheese, hand-tossed crust. I mean, we're talking really, really good pizza. And I was really, really looking forward to finishing that thing off. But in the middle of the night, my nephew got up and consumed the entirety of the rest of that pizza. Left the empty box in the fridge. So the next day when I went to get the pizza and I opened up the box, it was empty and my food processing nephew had eaten it all and I was mad. Why was I mad? Because he got there first. That's what's going on with the disciples here. These ten, they show up and they're mad. Because James and John got there first. I wonder sometimes if looking back, if Peter doesn't look in on some of these episodes in the life of following Jesus and go, you know, I asked a lot of really stupid questions and I said some really stupid stuff, but this time it wasn't me. So Jesus clarifies in verses 42 through 44 what I would call Christian ambition. And he contrasts, what he does is he sets up this contrast between what we normally see in our world and what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like that's populated by Christians. What the world looks like is that people in authority have perks and privileges. Several times when I was in the military, I had to fly on board military aircraft to get here and there to do various things, uh, uh, C-130s and C-141s and C-5s and C-17s. These are cargo aircraft. Now, 
Normally, when you ride on a military airplane, it's not what I would call a luxurious ride. In fact, most of the time, you're seated in these little net things that are attached to the side of the inside of the fuselage. No windows, nobody coming by offering you beverages. None of that stuff. But one day I was on one of these airplanes, and it was, it was a little crowded in the cargo container because there was this, like, this capsule thing in there that had been put in first. And in the military, the way it goes is this. The highest-ranking person gets off the plane first and boards the plane last. So us minions, we boarded the airplane, we strapped our butts. Can you say butt in church? I guess I just did. We strapped our butts into the little net things on the side, strapped ourselves in, and we waited. We didn't know who was coming, but in walks a four-star Air Force general. He was commander of all the Air Force uh, forces in Europe. He walks by us into this little capsule thing. And so as the door opened, I realized what this thing was. The military has what they call VIP pallets or capsules. And inside these things are these really comfortable seats that recline, and little tables where you could put out your stuff, and little cup holders, and, and little uh, amenities that you normally associate with first-class air travel. VIP treatment. And when we look at the world, that's what we expect, right? The more important a person is, the more privileges they have. The disciples grew up under, Roman, under the Roman rule of Palestine with Roman governors <clears throat> and puppet kings. They knew what perks looked like. But Jesus said that life in the kingdom is not about pushing people around or about the pursuit of perks. Now, here's the thing. The perks don't have to be lavish. They can just be small things, but they, they, they revolve around us and an element of control. Like down to who controls the remote control for the TV in your house? I know who controls it in my house. Who controls the agenda of where you go and what you do? We all have kind of little kingdoms that we live in, and you don't have to be a four-star general in the military to expect that, comes with a, that, that with authority come some element of perks or privileges. But Jesus says four words that we need to burn into our brains. Not so with you. Not so with you. Whatever the world looks like with respect to privilege and perks, not so with you. Whatever the world looks like with, the, with respect to pursuit of success and ambition, not so with you. Now, he's not denigrating a pursuit of excellence in vocation. What he's saying is the pursuit of perks is not what Christianity is all about. He says in verse 43 that greatness equals servanthood. He says in verse 44 that first place looks like last place. Now, I am fascinated by what I perceive to be the American fascination with British royalty. 
Folks can't get enough of it. What are they up to? What are Kate and William and Megan and Harry doing? Look at the ladies' dresses. Did you see their hats? How long will the queen live? Will Prince Charles ever get to be king? I'm fascinated by our fascination with this stuff. In fact, I've said to several people, you know that a couple of hundred years ago we had a revolution to get rid of those folks. And yet here we are, enamored with royalty. Have you watched The Queen on Netflix? Have you? Season 3 is coming on November 17th. The big question, will Princess Diana appear in season three? I won't spoil it for you. But here's the thing. In the same week, in 1997, in the same week, two people died. Princess Diana died in a horrific car accident. And Mother Teresa died. Same week. 1997. Mother Teresa, she had won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979. She, in 1985, she got the Medal of Freedom, a ton of honorary degrees, had been given hundreds of thousands of dollars in gifts and donations, and she gave all of it away. She spoke at a national prayer breakfast at one point in time, and she raised the issue, she had the audacity to raise the issue of abortion in front of these folks, and she said, if you don't want those babies, give them to me, I'll take care of them. And she was serious. She strolled the streets of the dusty uh, uh, dens of dirt in India, looking for abandoned children, picked them up and took care of them. That's who she was. And Princess Diana, I don't pretend to know about her heart and her character, and I, I, I don't want to disparage any of that in any other way, anyway, but I, I read something one time. Her, her, in her divorce decree process from Prince Charles, she insisted that she be able to still carry the title of her royal highness. Huh. Which one of those represents what Jesus is talking about in this passage? Mother Teresa or British royalty? And the thing is that there are, are servanthood opportunities everywhere. We do not have to go to the dusty, dirty streets of India to be people of service. Our homes, our very own homes, can be places of service. Our workplaces can be places of service. Our affinity clubs and and organizations can be places of service. Our schools can be places of service. Our church can be a place of service. All of those places are laboratories for servanthood. It might be hard, but it can be done. Do you remember back in the day when service stations actually offered service? Remember those days? Some guy would come out and he'd open your hood and he'd check your oil and check your antifreeze level and all those things. He'd pump your gas for you. There were, you didn't have to pay extra for that. That's just what they did. They were service stations. Now they still call them service stations, but they ain't. Because you've got to pump your own gas. 
And if you're having trouble with your engine, don't go inside to the person behind the counter who's selling the lottery tickets and expect any help at all from them. Because they've retained the words, this is what annoys me, can you tell? They've retained the word service, but they don't serve. So, how do we do this? How do we do this? In verse 45, Jesus says, look, follow my example. He said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This verse may be one of the most succinctly important verses in the entirety of the New Testament. Jesus, the Lord, he came to serve. A couple of times along the way, Pastor Laura and I have had foot washing services. Really interesting things happen. Two things happen that are really interesting to me. One, the people that are going to do the foot washing, they're worried that they're going to encounter things on other people's feet that they'd rather not encounter. But here's the really interesting thing to me. The people who are going to have their feet washed, really nervous, really unsettled about this this magnitude, this this very particular pointed and personal way of being served. But what are we doing? We're following the example of Jesus, who came to give himself up for others. He came to give himself up as as a sacrifice for our sin. Now, we can't do that. But we can imitate that attitude of self-sacrifice. The Apostle Paul, the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, on Thursday of this week, Thursday is the day by which I normally have whatever rambling, babbling I'm going to do on Sunday morning put together. If I don't have it put together by Thursday, I'm a little nervous. Got home Thursday, and Pastor Laura said, How's the sermon going? I said, Meh. And here's the reason why. Because I was in the hunt for, and trust me, it was a lengthy, painful hunt. I was in the hunt for an illustration of some spectacular evidence of service. Something that would just grab our hearts and minds and we'd go, oh yes, that's what it looks like. Amazing. Never found one. Which was really annoying i got to say. But then as I began to mull this over a little bit and pray about it a little more, I was reminded of several things. I used to, uh, I went as an assignment from our local association in Colorado to a little town called Cripple Creek. Now, I went there on assignment because this little town was one of three towns in, in Colorado where the, they had legalized limited stakes gambling. Now, our association, it was a Baptist association, had had a church there for a very long time, but had been absent a pastor for a while. So they they sent me out there for several months to see what ministry might look like in that community. And so I went out there and I served, and I did my little report, and I I told them what I thought. And 
And uh, so they went looking for somebody who might be able to do that job, and they found a guy. His name was Dennis, is Dennis. And uh, the chair of the association came back from a visit to Cripple Creek one day. We were having a little pastor's meeting, and, and he started talking about this little church and ministry in Cripple Creek, and tears started running down his eyes, out of his eyes, down his cheeks. I said, Charlie, what? what? You will not believe what's going on out there. I ran into Dennis. Big surprise, he's the pastor out there at the church. No, I ran into Dennis. He was on the street, on the sidewalk, in front of one of the casinos, and he had a broom in his hand, and he was sweeping the street. Charlie said to Dennis, what? He said, well, you know, Dennis said, right now the church can't really support me, so I took this job with the city, and I'm sweeping the streets so I can meet people, talk to them about Jesus. <coughs> Service. So I couldn't find that spectacular example, but the truth is all around us every day, there are examples and opportunities. They might, be not, might not be big and spectacular, but they're real and they're genuine and they invest in people. Things happen here. The monthly essentials pantry and community meal. It's not spectacular in the way we think of it. And sometimes they serve meatloaf, which is a whole other conversation. But it's a way to touch the hearts of people and, and serve them. Abundant harvest, which happens once a month from this church, and folks show up and they serve a meal to folks who need it. They're all around us, these opportunities and examples. Christian teachers. You know, in the book of Acts, and we're going to talk about this at some point after the first of the year, but in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, we have what I call a simultaneous worldwide missions mandate. And we get nervous about that, but we're kind of happy and content that it's a bit of a distance from us. Yes, over there, far, far away. But you're on mission to your neighborhood, your place of employment, your clubs, your activities. Those are all places where this picture of servanthood can be lived out. And let me tell you this. Nothing has the potential to impact somebody else's life and make them ask probing questions about Jesus than service. So, these guys didn't know what they were asking. And other guys got mad about them asking. But Jesus took that really stupid question and demonstrated the power of those four words. Not so with you. Not so with you. Pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to 